I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Andy J Podcast. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to episode 88 of the Andy J Podcast. Thank you very much for your company today. We have such a special conversation for you this week. Now, I recorded this conversation about a week ago, and I am still chewing it over today. You know when you go and see a film or watch a TV show, and you, you know it gives you this amazing impression as you're watching it, and you're just like, wow, this is incredible. And then it stays with you and you're still thinking about it into the evening or you're thinking about it as you go to sleep. And then in the morning, you're thinking about that action sequence or that plot twist or whatever it might be. Well, occasionally you have a conversation that really lands with you and you keep thinking about it and chewing it over because it's just blown your mind and you're just like, wow, this is so great. Well, this is exactly, exactly the reaction I've had to my remarkable guest today. Now, she's incredible. I'm not sure if you will be as familiar with her as with some of our guests that we've had on this show, because we've had some huge, huge household names on the show this year, and it's been an absolute privilege to talk to so many people. I knew of this lady beforehand, and you may very well be like, yeah, of course, Ching, she's amazing. But if you haven't, I encourage you to give this one a listen, because she's just brilliant. This is the incredible Ching He Huang. She's just had an MBE. She's just literally been to the palace to receive her MBE, which we'll be talking about. She is, uh, well, let me tell you she's had i think nine perhaps ten cookery books out now she's a tv writer and she's a tv chef where she's a food writer and a tv chef she's been in so many cooking programs i mean she's been on our screens for a long long time now she's a big big time best-selling author as well and she's an entrepreneur she's created her own business when she was very young i don't want to kind of tell her story in this intro because i want you to hear it she talks through it so brilliantly But in a nutshell, she's had a phenomenal start to her life, moving around different countries and bringing in all those experiences from childhood. She's brought these onto the plate as well, of course, as a phenomenal chef. She then started a business. Again, I'm not giving you timelines. You can hear it from her because it's amazing. And then fate has played a part. She is one of these incredible ladies that has one of these stories where there are turning points in her life where you can see the universe or whatever it is you believe in has stepped in and said okay i'm just going to help you out here and i'm just going to introduce you to that person and i'm just going to make sure that you go you choose this path she will explain it all brilliantly but i must say i loved this chat and she's been just joyful subsequently as well you know i often share with you when the celebrities have been really lovely and when they kind of have followed up with nice calls or messages or whatever well ching has been just sensational so look i think she is pure gold i hope you do too I will stop my waffle about her and let's get into our conversation. All I wanted to say is thank you for choosing the show. We've still got a couple of massive guests for you before we enter the Christmas period and we'll have a couple of specials for you over the Christmas period to get you through what can be quite challenging times over Christmas. But right now, let me just introduce the wonderful, the brilliant Ching. The Andy J Podcast. 
I am very pleased to welcome my very special guest for this hour. She's best known as a TV chef who's introduced the flavours of Asia to our palates, but she's also an author, an entrepreneur, a filmmaker. Oh, and of course, she's just been to the palace to collect her MBE. I am thrilled to welcome Ching He Huang. How are you doing, Ching? Good afternoon, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be chatting to you, Ching. I, I must say, there's so much for us to get into. I was sometimes I have this with some of my guests where I look at what they do on a day to day sort of situation, and I think, well, goodness. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could just use the hour introducing you by listing your achievements and the things you do, because of course we know you as a TV chef and an author and a TV chef judge and various other things. But actually, there's there's so many strings to your bow. You're a very busy lady. <laughs> I try. I try to keep busy. Um, yes, it wasn't always this way. Um, but uh, I love my work. So um, I love to teach. I love to write. Um, I love to just share um, my recipes. So, yes, I mean, <laughs> I don't know where you would like to start. <laughs> well, do you know what? There are so many places I'd like to start, actually, Ching. And, and when I when I approach these conversations, I like to try and immerse myself in your world before we chat so I can kind of get familiar with the, with the sort of activations that you do. Now, I'm a dreadful chef, so I've not been able to cook any of your dishes. Although that <sighs> said, I'm quite lucky because my wife, uh, well, my mother-in-law is from Hong Kong, so my wife is very, very talented in, in, in cooking things like char siu pork and so on. So I've been using Amazing. her as my test bed for your recipes because <laughs> she has Amazing. the skills. Um, but I think we should start really, let's talk about the MBE first because this is, and then I want to go back to your childhood because you've had the most incredible journey across many countries with multi-cultures and so many influences that, that bring you to where you are now. But I think I'd quite like to start in reverse and just take you back to, to just a few days ago as we record this when you were in at Windsor Palace and you were receiving mm-hmm. an MBE. Just, just talk us through that. Um, well, it was um, a, a very nervous, nerve-wracking day. Um, I, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. And my husband and I, um, we arrived, and everyone was so friendly. Actually, when we first arrived, it was Rob on a buggy <laughs> to take <laughs> us up to the to the um, entrance. Just so kind and so nice, and saved me from my heels. Um, but when we got in, I mean, Windsor Castle is actually even more beautiful on the inside. Um, you know, loads of armory. We saw a samurai suit, um, beautiful ornaments. And uh, there was a lady, Liz, there telling us that, you know, there are over a million artifacts um, in, in the household, wow. um, which is incredible. When you say and- Liz, is that because you're very familiar with Her Majesty? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. Um, there's another Liz who was. Um, ushering us, she was one of ushers. Wouldn't that be um, great so- if she was her match in disguise? <laughs> she was just like, "Oh, it's my day off. I'm just going to have a bit of fun. I'll pretend I'm someone else and just like put on a face yeah. mask and you know, oh, yeah. welcome <laughs> to the palace." <laughs> she was so friendly. I mean, yeah, I mean, it would have been. I mean, look, I, I, on that day, you know, people ask you, "Oh, do you think it's Her Majesty the Queen? Do you think it's, um, you know, Royal Highness Prince Charles?" And you know, I. I didn't really, you know, expect. I thought anybody is would be fantastic, and and lo and behold, um, I had Princess Royal, Princess Anne. Yes, and she was my when I because what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to uh, walk sort of towards the front of her and then curtsy and then look up. And after I curtsied, 
after trying, because I don't really wear high heels. I'm in trainers most of the time, so I try not to wobble. But when I stood back up and I looked at her, I just saw, you know, the spitting image of a, you know, young queen. You know, oh, yeah. when when I used, to, you know, when I watched her, uh, when or if you look at back in all the um, videos and uh, photos of the queen, I just, I, you know, I, I, it kind of took my breath away for a second. And I thought, okay, don't lose your cool thing. Just walk, <laughs> walk towards her like you're supposed to. So then I walked towards her, and she was so friendly and warm and kind. And um, she asked me how I started, and I thought, well, here we go. <laughs> Brilliant. How long have you got? <laughs> I, I know. I I started launching into it, and then I realised, my God, team, you've got still. I mean, there were seventy-seven of us on that day, so there was still half the room left. So, um, so yes, I, I kind of mumbled, um. And, you know, as you do, and uh, it was just, and then afterwards, I mean, she asked me about my father and did I get into this because of him and um, what I enjoyed most and do I do East and West, you know, fusion cooking. So um, there was quite a lot of questions, Um, but I tried to, in the end, I just (laughs) tried to be as succinct and as quick as possible and not take too much time. Um, But as soon as I left the room, I just, I was really emotional. Oh, it wow. just suddenly hit me, and um, and you get taken to an area and, uh, to take your photos, um, and then you know, lady asked me, um, you know, what it was like, and I I just burst into tears. <laughs> I was really um, quite overcome. That's really. Um, I mean, that's what a lovely reaction because there, there's a sense of I've been very privileged to have done things with various members of the royal family over the years, and there's there's such a sense of occasion and presence that comes mm-hmm. with attending any royal event, actually, whether you get to meet them or whether they're just there. But but when you're actually interacting with them, there's there's something a bit magic about it, isn't there? Really? Oh, it was so magical. I I can't. I mean, I'll never ever forget. I'll treasure the memory forever. Um, I, there was this this energy, and you know, I think I was really taken aback that um, all because I'm, I'm a no fuss, you know, kind of girl, but all that effort for us, I was really touched, really, really touched. Um, and I think somehow I also felt the emotion of maybe in the room. Um, I I don't know. It was just very, very strong and beautiful energy, and just so humbling to be. Um, in her presence and you know where everyone is showing you you know that you know you're seen you're visible like Mm. you know and that just uh, you know even now talking about it I still feel (laughs) um, very yeah I can still feel the energy of that day Yes, I can hear what Very it means special. to you. Do you know, that's, mm. this is really lovely. And, and Ching, I, I don't mean this to sort of be a confrontational question. I, I'm curious. So please apologies if I, I, if I word this wrongly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm curious what it means to you to attend a royal event. Because am I right in saying you've been a U, UK resident since age 11? Is that right? You weren't, you weren't, born, yeah. you weren't born here. You've, you've moved around a little bit, but you were, you've been mm-hmm. settled here since 11. So yeah. in, in terms of your childhood, your early years, growing up and so on, mm-hmm. What was your sort of perception of the royal family? You know, when, when you were in Taiwan, for example, were you ever imagining mm. that you'd be in the presence of royalty or, or were they not even on your radar? Well, in Taiwan, um, I was, you know, very young. I grew up on my grandmother's farm and was very from very uh, humble background. Um, and I, I was very young, so I didn't have any selection of the royal family. 
or I didn't even think of Britain at that time. Mm. Um, I was, you know, there until I was five. Um, and it was a beautiful time growing up, watching my grandmother, you know, cook on her farm, cook for all of us, a big extended family. Um, and my, while well, my parents went to the city in Taipei to work a lot, so we were in the South. But um, when I was uh, around five, um, my father, just by chance, met a South African businessman, and um, they decided to go into exporting bicycles from Taiwan to South Africa. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, so it was <clears throat> very um, a fateful uh, moment. And my father was in construction in Taipei, and he was really unhappy with his job. And he was the only one of seven children who had got a degree, a business degree. And when everyone pitched in, so paid for him so that he could go to university. And he felt that he needed to do something, you know, of this business degree. And he felt he had to go into business. And so when he met Uncle John, um, it was very fateful. And so they decided to go to this business. So before I knew it, when I was going on six, um, my dad just emigrated us. So we we upped everything. We left. I was gone. I went from my grandmother's farm this time to farm Uncle John's farm in South Africa and where we stayed with him and his family. So um, it was actually then growing up in South Africa that I first got to know about the royal family. You know, I think I, can't, I, think I must have been about this time eight right. um, or nine. And, you know, we'd see even, even going to the local shops, there would be postcards and pictures of the Queen Mum and the Queen and all the royals. So, you know, because South Africa, of course, had this, relationship it was in the commonwealth <clears throat> and um it was a very interesting time and i was always fascinated and curious um about the royal family and then obviously um at that time prince charles and princess diana's wedding it was the biggest thing i think i must have been eight or, or nine at that time and it was just everyone just celebrated um and so i had that impression you know and had i thought wow this is you know this is incredible. Not, I didn't know that, you know, one day I'd be in Windsor Castle getting my MBE. Yes. Yes. It's, I mean, it's wonderful. The reason why I asked that question is because I'm just curious about the impact the royals have internationally. Do you see what I mean? And, and, and at what age yeah. they sort of become on people's radars? Because I think sometimes in the UK, and I know some people are very pro-royal, some people are, are on the fence, some people are negative towards our royal family in the UK, and that's each to their own. You know, it's, it's whatever. Mm -hmm. it, my personal view is that they're, they're, they're great, and I think they're a terrific uh, advert for the country, yeah. but, but it is what it is. Um, you know, there's obviously plenty of controversy surrounding some members at the moment as well. So we, we won't go down that road. But internationally, they mm -hmm. are a huge signpost to the UK, aren't they? I mean, we're a very small little island, actually. We do a lot. We have some amazing achievers. But in terms of yeah. our international reputation, everyone, mm -hmm. it seems, presumably mm -hmm. from the age of eight upwards, but everyone yeah. around the world has heard of the royal family, has known who and what the royal family are and what they mean. It's it's a sense of purpose and occasion, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so when, by the time I was 11, um, at that time it was, um, a part, well, when I when we moved, it was during apartheid. And um, by the time I was 11, apartheid was about to be dissolved and Nelson Mandela was about to be freed. And um, there was a bit of riots and my father was really nervous. 
about the situation because it could have gone either way. Um, and he was, you know, everyone was leaving South Africa. And at that point, you know, he thought his friends were going to America, but he decided to choose Britain because uh, I think really because of this royal connection. Um, and yeah, and so we left, you know, when I was oh. 11. Oh, so, um, so, full so this, like yeah, so this um, influence you speak of, well, it influenced my father, mm. his decision and his choice. That's incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, Ching, obviously, I'm sort of hugely impressed that you've received an MBE and it's and it's lovely to see sort of the impact it's had on you and how much it's meant to you personally. I think that's just glorious. And congratulations to you. Now, now, obviously, in your, you. in your sort of recounting of the memories, kind of taking you to that point, you've, you've shared some of your background. I'd like to dig a little deeper, please, if you don't mind, because I think you've only just touched on on this amazing past that you had, you know, starting obviously before South Africa with, I mean, I hadn't realised this actually, it sounds like you were largely raised by your grandparents. Um, yeah. Am I right in saying that the, the farm that you talk about was was predominantly a bamboo farm, is that right? Yes. Um, so I lived with my maternal grandparents um, until I was five. And it's very traditional. It's the tradition that uh, the grandparents look after um, the young ones, you know, while my parents, or your parents go to work. Mm. So um, my my maternal grandparents had an orangery and a bamboo farm. So um, my grandfather would, you know, cut fresh shoots from that would spring from the bottom of the bamboo, um, and that's that's a delicacy in the area that we, you know, it was in a village called Baiha, Um and so you know it's a delicacy. And he would take that on his motorbike um, with a little, um, uh, like a uh, like a cart in the back. Um, and he would take that to the local market and he would trade for other ingredients. And sometimes he'd bring back, you know, water chestnuts or um, tofu. Um, and <laughs> I still remember one time he came back and my grandmother was scolding him. because She was like, oh, you didn't bring me back, you know, where I wanted you for the wrong tofu <laughs> back. Um, why didn't you bring me more of this? And I've run out of ginger. <laughs> So um, it was, you know, really fun times. It was really- wonderful. So, so with the, I'm so curious about the bamboo because I don't know for some reason I absolutely love it. But, but as a child, mm. was it a little bit mm. like, you know, I have this vision of of fields of towering bamboo, almost like a maze, and you can just kind of go and get lost in it. Was it was it like that? Is that what a bamboo farm looks like, or is is it more sort of condensed than that? No, it's um, it wasn't like a forest. You know, like you would see in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, you know, the movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but but um, it was definitely compact in, in one, um, you know, in, in one area, one plot. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't a forest. There was much more planned than that. Mm. And, um, and then next to it, we had an orangery. And it was, it was beautiful. The smell every year uh, of the oranges and when they fall to the ground, it was just amazing. Really amazing, and also in Taiwan we have the best fruits, um, and and the oranges are much more the the peel is very thin, so almost kind of like um you know like a clementine that you could peel, um, and much more sort of um, yellow. It's got more of a yellow hue rather than an orange hue to it, and the smell is just incredible and really juicy as well. Like the segments are just you could just peel it, but much bigger than a clementine. 
I had a feeling talking to you was going to make me feel hungry, Ching. I, I didn't expect it to be for a, for an orange. I love it. <laughs> and was this because, of course, you know, you've described this as, as as very very humble beginnings. Those were words that you used, and and obviously hearing it now, you know, it, it sounds. And, and again, this is a question that I, I realise may sound completely dumb. So my apologies. But, you know, hearing about this bamboo farm and the orangery, you know, that, that sounds quite affluent. Was, was it, you know, f- from comparatively, were you in a quite a well-off situation or, or was it not? Was it hand-to-mouth stuff? No, we were, we were in a very good situation um, compared to a lot of other families. Mm. We were considered wealthy um, because we had, you know, uh, produce. And, and, you know, I remember we lived in a Suhoyuan, which is, uh, the Chinese name for like a courtyard home. That's what that kind that structure is called. Okay. And if you can imagine like a uh, an N shape in front of you mm. and with lots of plots around this N shape. So my grandfather was one of 11 and all his great, all of my great aunts and uncles would live off each of you know, this central courtyard. And behind each home, they would also have a garden, uh, grow, you know, spring onion, garlic, um, vegetables, sweet potato leaves. Um, so, you know, everyone was abundant. Everyone had their own um, food and, and produce. And we would come together in the middle of the courtyard, um, mostly for dinner, dinner time. And we'd all eat together. And, you know, I remember my second great aunt, which lived just to um, the side of us, she would bring, you know, bun, bao, bun. Oh, lovely. She'd make because oh, she was she was so good at it, you know, steaming bun. And my grandmother would make zongzi, uh, which are like rice dumplings. That was her speciality. And so she would spend hours just wrapping them, not just for um, the Dragon Boat Festival, but most occasions. And, you know, we just shared all the food. So we were very, we were very wealthy. It sounds absolutely wonderful. I mean, it's, it just, it sounds idyllic, Jing, just listening. It, I mean, that sounds incredible. Surrounded by family and food and friendship. I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I can only assume that your memories of that time are very happy. Oh, that was my best time. I, I remember them so fondly. We just, we'd run around playing you know, see my grandmother cook for us and the food was delicious and, you know, just so, it was really magical, really magical for me. I loved it. I love my childhood and I have, um, you know, I think that's where the bond um, is for family uh, because, you know, I grew up with all of them. Yes, yes, it must have been so, so special. And of course, in and around food. So although, as we'll we'll discover later in the conversation, although it wasn't necessarily your natural expectation to become a a superstar chef, hearing about these beginnings, it's no real surprise, is it? I mean, really, when you hear about your formative years, sort of there was a lot of food involved and a lot of cooking. (laughs) There was, um, I think, you know, you're right. When It wasn't until I started writing my first book and even then I'd had, you know, my food business for two years, which I just started out of uni. Um, when I was sitting down writing those recipes, you know, it really came to me. I thought, ah, oh, this is what I was brought up to do. Yeah. And it's no, it's no wonder because I, 
you know, I watched my grandmother cook on her wood side oven. On, on top of that, be two large woks. I mean, you've never seen anything like it. Um, and because you need, you know, a very large wok in order to cook for um, you know, so many family members. And, you know, she was so impressive. I mean, she loved her beauty products. I mean, she loved Pond's, you know, face cream. <laughs> hmm. And she would put her hair in rollers. But when she was at the wok, she was like, she was like a, a, a mistress of the wok. I mean, like no other. She commanded that space. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's, that's the image I see I mostly. That's uh, really powerful. And, so it must have been a, a huge wrench then, Ching, when your dad mm. had this business agreement and, and, and moved you all just as you were turning six, as you said, to South Africa. I mean, you, you effectively left a secure, safe, happy family environment for the great mm-hmm. unknown, where you would have been, I presume, initially at least, the stranger, the new one, the outcast, effectively. Well, actually, yes. I mean, when we arrived in South Africa... Um, my brother and I were put into school, Tom Newby School, um, in Benoni. It's in the suburbs of Joburg. And um, my brother and I were the only two Chinese children in the whole school of about 500. And, you know, some of the children there, you know, embraced us with curiosity and you know, warmth. But some of the children, you know, were very cruel because they didn't know, quite know how to take us. Um they were like, well, you don't belong here. What are you doing here? And so, yeah, it was it was tough. But, I mean, after a few years, they got used to us. But I think sometimes children can be quite cruel as well. Yes. Um, so, so it was, yeah, it was, hard. it was hard. It was a hard lesson to learn. But um, I still look back, you know, at those times with fond memories because it, – <laughs> We, we broke bread, and I broke bread eventually with a lot of the children because I'd bring in packed lunches. Um, you know, my mum would make delicious soy braised eggs with rice and, you know, pork, and they loved it. So I often gave away my lunch um, in exchange for minced beef sandwiches and biltong. <laughs> 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 um, so it was, you know, you find a way and and, you know, I really do look back at South Africa with those wonder. I mean, the beautiful times um, take over some yes. of the you know, hairy times at the beginning. Yes, no, and and I think actually, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ching, but I think if you had made that transition now, you know, let's say you and I weren't the age we are now and we were just turning six and you were to move to South Africa now, I think you would have found yourself in a very different environment, much faster to be accepted, quickly adapted, welcomed with open arms. Whereas I believe, you know, back then, what are we looking, early 80s? Yeah, 1984. Yeah, so there was some hostility, you know, back then to anybody that, well, I mean, as you mentioned, you were right in the heart of apartheid. So there was, that was a nation in huge conflict and you were dropping in looking different to a lot of the other kids, if I'm putting it that way. Do you know what I mean? Yes. All the um, blacks were still living in the township, um, segregated. Um, And so, you know, we were in a very predominantly, um, you know, white suburb. but, you know, as I said, it's just at the beginning, you know, some children didn't know how to take us. And, of course, we couldn't speak English. 
Gosh, so, you yeah. know, we, we learned English there. And so that was even more difficult because you can't express yourself. Um, but, but in the end, I mean, I look back and um, those times at the beginning were difficult and they were challenging. But like anything, you know, you prove to yourself and you share, um, <laughs> or share food with the others, you know, with others and then and you find common ground and they become they understand you and then and then yeah and then you belong there so I do look back at those times with fond memories um mostly that's good to hear and I love I love that you're sort of that you use the term breaking bread you know I love the way that you know you broke through as it were was was food I always say internationally the language is food and football and you can get on with anyone you know (laughs) I know there'll be plenty that disagree with me, but I've I've had to travel a lot with my work and I've always found, you know, my my love of football has has saved me from many strange circumstances. So (laughs) it seems to be the thing. Football and food and and you'll be okay. I mean, this is obviously a bit of a generalization, but nonetheless. And you of course touched on, I mean, we've we've mentioned that 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 sort of terrifying word apartheid, and 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 you mentioned that, that that you were there when the, the, the sort of end to Mandela's imprisonment was was happening. I mean, can you uh-huh. remember that time, or or is that sort of have you looked back on it now as an adult with with sort of grown up uh, opinions and so on, and realised that you were living through this incredible time in history, or were you aware as a child of the significance of what was happening? Well, you know, it's funny because as a child, you 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 under, you're aware of how things are like things are not quite right you know how you question things mm-hmm. um uh, that uh you know the help that we had um you know they were black you know simon and lena and who were like family to us and who looked after us you know oh how come they have to go back home to their own home oh they have another home oh well where are their children what they have to drive hours to go home mm-hmm. you know so you, you you question all these things and um and then you question the fact that, you know, you and your brother, you're like, wow, we're the, where are all the other Chinese kids or all the other colored kids? Or how come everyone here is, you know, white? And then you realize that things are not quite, you know, um, that there's something else going on. You don't know, really. Um, but only now, you know, oh, as I've got older and, you know, I've looked back on it. South Africa was um, struggling to find itself. And of course, it's through you know history, um, how it came to be. But it's it's not right. And um, even though you have no answer or solution for it, um, you just you know you you see it for what it is, and that you hope. There's always hope. You hope that things get better. Um, and they have. They have got better. I think. Um, but you know, without going into politics. Um, it's, it's, you know, I, I still don't understand why there's all this going on in the world, mm. but, um, yeah. Hello, it's John Marco here from our sister podcast, The Driven Chat Podcast. Right now, you're listening to The Andy J Podcast, and it's quite good, isn't it? In fact, do me a favour, give it a little review, five stars, and wherever you're listening, hit that little subscribe or follow button, because it does help. See you around. Andy J Podcast.
Yes, I, I'm with you, Ching. I'm with you. And again, yeah. again, I, I, you know, it's not a political show. We don't need to go down that road. But it's, it is interesting because you've lived in these different countries and because of the, the, the timeline of when you were there and so on, I do find it absolutely fascinating to, to get your sort of, your innocent perception of it because children are ultimately innocent and, and that's wonderful. What a shame we can't always stay like that. <clears throat> mm. So you were there not, not that long, actually, Ching. You were there for about six years. Is that right? Sort of five or six years. And the, yeah. And actually, you know, you made friends, you, you, you experienced a new culture and perhaps critically of all, you were given the, the, the next set of tools, which was another language, you, the ability to speak English, which must mm-hmm. have been a, a huge, op- opened up a vast world of opportunity for you. I did. I mean, when we came to UK was 1989 um, and my, you know, we, my father put, because in the end, his. Um, export business, you know, bicycle export business took off in South Africa because that was the only mode of transport around. Gosh, so, so he was doing well then. So while you were going through school and learning English and so on, your dad was, was doing pretty well. He was doing pretty well. And mm. in the end, um, he bought a house for us. It was lovely. You know, even had a swimming pool. Um, it was, yeah, it was wonderful. And um, But then when we had to leave, you know, funny from difficult times to happy times and we didn't want to leave <laughs> my brother and I because we found friends and um, we, we were having a good time mm. um, but then when we moved um, it was 1989 and um, my father put everything into this country um, he was then um, importing like costume jewellery for a lot of retail stores in London he'd come on a previous business trip and he'd seen, you know, how Oxford Street was so busy during Christmas and um, so he thought consumer goods would be a good idea um, and he he supplied a lot of shops, independents but by 1990 uh, the recession hit and a lot of those independents closed and they didn't pay him back and he had spent £250,000 at that time to uh, for us to get a visa, you know, Gosh. I think it was an entrepreneur's visa. So it was a, a lot of money at that time, and so literally in a space of about a year, you know, went from well, we weren't completely rags in Taiwan, but rags to riches, and then back to rags. Yes, yeah. well, actually, I mean, you, you say sort of two hundred fifty thousand was a lot of money back then. It's a lot of money now, but but for 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 clarity, you know, in, in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, you could get a Mars bar for five, 10 P, you know, that's, yeah. that's how much money has changed. So yeah, yeah. 250,000 pounds back then would have been a fortune now. So yes, he, yeah. he spent a lot of money and I guess you, you were aware quite quickly that it was a struggle. Yeah. I mean, overnight, you know, by that point, my brother was in Mill Hill school, um, boys school boarding. And I was in Mount School, which is on Milesford Hill. It's no longer there anymore. They closed it a few years ago. But um, it was an all-girls school, private school, both of us. So it was a lot of money um, at that time. And um, that's when things you know, started to go sort of wrong uh, from when I was 11 till, gosh, well, until I was in my 20s. But um, by the time I was 13, two years later, pretty much lost a lot um but my father and my mother were still trying to put us through the school and not to leave um my mother at that point was going back to taiwan a lot to work 
Um, and my father stayed here in the UK to look after us uh, because they still continued. I mean, import and export business was all they knew. So at that point, they decided to export, um, you know, British goods or European goods like wine, you know, back to Taiwan to try and make things meet. Okay. Make ends meet. And um, so that's how I started cooking at home because, you know, my father was very bad at cooking. Um, and before my mother would go on each of her business trips, she would teach me how to cook, um, you know, a few dishes and then, you know, left to improvise. So I remember the first time I made uh, fried rice, it was more like congee. It was like all mushy. Inside, I mixed the rice. Um, but I still remember it. But um, yeah, my dad just ate it anyway. <laughs> Good for him. Um, what yeah. lessons were you picking up from your parents at this at this stage, Ching? Because it sounds to me like worth work ethic, resilience, and so on were, were things that were just naturally being imparted to you by them. Um, it was definitely, um, yes. I mean, I think it was, you know, all that basically never to give up. You know, that you just every day you just got to keep going. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Um, and just to keep trying. So, you know, I saw my parents work so hard and it really did leave, you know, um, something in me. So, I mean, now I can't, you know, I can't waste time. Mm -hmm. I'm someone that just can't sit still because, um, you know, always trying to push forward, you know, always trying to do better than, than yesterday. So, um, you know, those were really difficult times. Um, but, I learned a lot and I think, well, I learned my cooking skills, you know, yes. I started young and um, I ended up, you know, sometimes I'd cook for my friends, you know, I'd go to their house and um, the school I, I was in was very multicultural. So, and I loved that. I loved that so much. I had friends from all different backgrounds, um, you know, Japanese, um, British, even Irish, um, uh, Chinese, obviously I was Chinese, Taiwanese, um, Lebanese. My best friend is Lebanese. And so I learned, you know, some, <laughs> some Middle Eastern cooking, going to a house, you know, um, having hummus and, and tabbouleh and how to make it. And it was just really fun. And actually, I just wanted to not be at home sometimes. I just wanted to just stay at my friend's place because it was a way to escape. Yeah. Um, you know, the, what was happening at home. But um, yeah, things got quite bad. By the time I was 15, um, I got a job at Next in Brent Cross Shopping Centre. Okay. <laughs> I, I was like, I really need a part-time job. Um, but I had, uh, I was still underage. I was 15. <clears throat> but I sort of lied about my age to get the job because in Chinese culture, um, we count the day that you're conceived yes. in the mum's womb. So we count the nine months. So, so to me, it was, it was just a different culture. So um, so I got this job and it was one um, serendipitous evening. My um, headmistress of the school um, walked in and with her daughter and she her daughter was trying on dresses. And... I was working in the fitting room. So with my big mouth, I said, oh, hi, Mrs. Pond. 
how are you? And then I realized, I've got her, I actually shouldn't be here because it was a Thursday night. It was going on nine. It was 8.30. And she looked at me and she said, oh, which year are you in? And I said, oh, upper five. Um, well, lower five, I think going upper five. And she said, oh, well, what are you doing here? And you shouldn't really be here. This is a Thursday night. It's a school night. Mm. Um, and it's really late. So she called me to her office the next day. So I went to see her and I told her about my situation and how tough things were. And she said to me, well, Ching, if you get, you know, all, um, if you get good grades at GCSE, then we'll let you stay on for sixth form um, with scholarship. Oh, goodness. That's amazing. So, so I worked really hard. Um, and, you know, I got, I think, seven, seven A's, two B's. I can't remember now. Um, and she gave me, yeah, she gave me 90% scholarship, which meant that per term, instead of, I think, a thousand pounds a term, it was a hundred pounds a term. So, which meant that I could afford six form, which was, you know, amazing. And then I continued to work part-time jobs. Next, it was a shoe shop, Carvela. Um, and luckily at that time, you know, in the UK, we, there were no university fees um, yes. and we had a grant, grant system. So I was able to um, go on to study economics um, at Queen Mary. Um, yeah. And I, I think I know all the clothing shops in London, <laughs> like Kukai, Carvela, next. I love and I come to all of them. Ching, this is such a special journey uh, that you're sharing with us. And, and thank you, by the way, because it, it really is fascinating to hear your ascension from, from childhood and these key moments in your life that have shaped who you've become. I mean, one of the things that I think you've talked about beforehand, and I know it's, it's huge in, in Chinese culture, is, is destiny, people of destiny. Can, can you talk us through that? Because it seems very clear how the universe has opened up a pathway for you to me from, from this story, but you may have a, a far more sort of concise and, and clearer way of explaining it. Well, I, I feel like, you know, at every point in time when there was difficult times um, in my life, that there were destiny people. In, in Chinese, we call it guizhen, um, which translates as, you know, angels or destiny people. And they just appeared to, to give you a little helping hand. And I don't know, you know, certainly everyone has a story and everyone um, has moments when they've had people who've helped them, whether it's just a, you know, friendly word or literally help them with resources. And, you know, for me, my first destiny person that, that I realized was Mrs. Pond, my headmistress. You know, without her, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, finish sixth form mm. of course she gave me the opportunity and of course you have to work hard and take that opportunity and then go with it but it was that helping hand and um all throughout my life i've had incredible destiny people um you know next um it was my next destiny person um was uh, i think tim marland i mean he was when i was after university and i was still broke thinking what are we going to do you know, to get my parents out of this mess? Because by that time, debt after debt after debt, um, it just all accumulated to the point where we were going to lose our house. So after university, I thought, well, I'm going to have to, you know, 
I didn't go into catering. Um, I st- walked by um, a pret a manger um, sandwich shop, and they were doing sushi at that time. And this was in 1999. Um, and I thought, wow, gosh, sushi. And now liang mian, cool noodles, like cold noodle salads, mm. you know, were really in. And I thought, I know about liang mian, uh, which translates as cool noodle um, in Chinese, because in Taiwan, we had the best liang mian noodles. You know, my grandmother used to make them for me with like sesame paste and soy sauce and chili powder. And you could have like eggs, you know, like strips of om- egg omelettes on top, or you could have like chicken. Um, and it was so delicious but when I spent you know three pounds fifty to me at that time was a lot of money you know on this box which just had noodles and bean sprouts and a packet of soy sauce I thought it was big ripoff and yes, they, weren't, like, they weren't the best quality either if I remember rightly <laughs> I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about yeah you and I are almost exactly the same age we're at uni at the same time and so on so yeah we are completely aligned Every, all your references are exactly the same as mine which I'm which I'm loving um, and I re- yeah I remember those and I remember eating them thinking I was being you know alternative or whatever but they they weren't great you know? no, they were really bland and quite boring so I thought oh gosh I could I thought I could do better than this um so I you know thought I started my own catering company um but it sounds so fancy, you know, a catering company was anything but fancy, I tell you. Um, I had to find a kitchen. And so I looked in all the local newspapers in North London. And there was one kitchen that was up for rent. Um, and this was um, opposite. It's now Bang Bang Oriental, but it used to be called Oriental City. So just opposite, um, it was, you know, really a com- like a office block. And they had an empty kitchen. So I thought, you know, I went to have a look, and it was about a thousand square feet. It wasn't very big, and people would usually use that kitchen, you know, to serve the offices, or they would hire it, hire it out for parties. So I thought, okay, well, I mean, it's a good space. Um, I could, you know, make my noodles there. So um, another destiny person, lo and behold, is Mrs. Gong, and Mrs. Gong unfortunately passed away um, earlier this year, um, but. She was, again, my destiny person. She could see I was trying really hard. It was still um, the last few months before my final year at uni. I was actually still studying for my exams, but everyone was going off to do accounting, finance, you know, working in the city. But I really thought, no, I really, you know, have to earn much more money than that, um, than just a starting salary you know, in order to get clear my parents' debt. So um, I struck a deal with Mrs. Kong, and she gave me three months free rent. And um, again, she's my destiny person. She said, if you, I said to her, if I'm successful, I will take over and I will pay you full rent every month. It was like £2,000, you know, for the kitchen. So, yeah, I was really... It was really, you know, difficult times at that time recalling it. Um, I got the labels from Corquick. Um, I got the supplies from Wingyip, which is down the road. Yes. Quicklewood. Um, um, so, yeah. So, and then I would make, I even got the packaging from Wingyip. 
and they had these compartmentalized packaging, black on the bottom, clear on the top, a clear lid. And I separate the noodles and then all the different filling, cucumber, carrots, you know, shredded chicken or prawns, and then with sachets of sauces. And I presented it to um, Tim Marlin at um, Europa Foods, uh, who used to own, you know, Cullen's and um, <clears throat> Europa, and they had about 100 stores in London. So I took it to him and I said, look, cool noodles is what you need <laughs> because Press and Manger have um, noodle boxes and you have to go with the times. So, you know, these are fantastic. Um, so I presented to him and he's also my destiny person um, because, you know, he gave me a chance. He gave me a shot and he really loved the product. And he said, great, um, we will order from you um, first 50 stores. And we'll trial it, and you can make them for us. Brilliant. And um, but I was like, okay, so what do we need? And he said, well, do you have a kitchen? And I was thinking, well, sort of. Do you have um, health and safety? And I was thinking in my head, well, sort of. I guess we have the council. <laughs> 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 you have, you know, the logo and the label. And I thought, well, I do have, you know, call quick, so it should be all right. And then he said, do you have distribution? And when he said that, I just, my, I kind of, I almost kind of fainted on the spot because I didn't have any, you know, vans, vehicles, of course. I mean, once you make the product, how are you supposed to get it to store? That's right. So, um, so he gave me the number of um, Julian Lessons. And Julian Lessons is another Guajan, another destiny person. Really, there are so many. Um, he, I, when he, he gave me the number and I thought, well, how is this person going to help me? And then he also put down the address and the address was NW9. And I thought, well, the kitchen that I'm going to hire is also NW9. Yes, it's also in Colindale. It's also in Colindale. And then I realized that Julian's distribution vehicle, um, sort of warehouse hub, was five minutes down the road Brilliant. from where the kitchen would be. So I was like, wow, this is incredible. Um, I wouldn't have to invest in, um, you know, refrigerated vehicles because he would, they would just come and collect just in time, which is exactly what they did in order to facilitate um, the orders. So, I mean, honestly, the list goes on. And it was while I, was, um, I had my food business that I met my husband now, my husband now, but he was someone I was dating at the time. I was so young, I was 24. My friend set me up. And um, his sister, Jamie's sister, um, Fiona, was working at UKTV Food. And she was like, you know, I love your noodles, Ching. They're so delicious. You need to, like, PR these. And I didn't even know what PR meant at that time. So she just, out of the kindness of her heart, she set up a meeting with Gareth Williams, who is another destiny person of mine. Um, and I sat there with him with noodle boxes, <laughs> like a little picnic in his office. And he said, yeah, these are great things. So delicious. Listen, you should come on our show um, uh, on Great Food Live. And, you know, you could make them. And I thought, oh, well, that would be fantastic. I thought, great. I'll get to share my product and sell lots and lots of noodles. Um, to everyone in London and 
Uh, so I went for a screen test. They loved it. Then I went on the show. And then on the show, the producer said, we just want you to cook a dish that's close to your heart. And I thought, okay, mm, I'll cook like a Buddha's veggie dish, which is something that my family would have all the time. So I cooked that and they were like, oh, that's fantastic, Jane. You know, you have to come back and cook for us more and more. And I thought, well, when will I get to PR my noodles? Yes, yes, quite. And they were like, no, you can't share anything like that on TV. You can't, um, you know, you can't um, advertise. So um, it's just the dishes. So I thought, okay, um, that's okay. So I just went back, carried on. Um, they asked me, you know, to cook on further shows. And even though I didn't get to pee on my noodles, I was having fun. I was really being creative, coming up with dishes that are, you know, part of my heritage that I wanted to share. And they were nothing to do with, you know, noodles because actually creating the noodles was very constrained, you know, budget constrained because each pot of noodles was like £2.99. And, you know, there's only so much creativity that you can you can do mm. for like £2.99. Mm. Sometimes I go into the buyer's office, you know, Tim's office and other offices and say, look, here's a delicious, you know, um, shumai dumpling noodle box. And they'll be like, well, how much is that, Jane? And I'll be like, well, that's £5.99. They're like, that's impossible, you know. So I was creatively constrained yes. in the food business. And I found my outlet by going on TV and actually sharing dishes that I just, you know, you could, you could cook anything. I could cook like lobster noodles or, you know, prawns, um, chili crab. You know, these are all the dishes that I had um, created from a, you know, um, from a homely perspective, from nice. a home perspective. I love it. Ching, it's, it's just, it's honestly, it's joyful listening to this journey that you've had. And I, and I love you talking about these destiny people, because one of the things that, of course, they all have in common is, yes, of course, they were there for you at a certain time in your life, just when they were needed and they opened doors or they showed a kindness that led to this, that and the other. But in each case, and of course, you know this yourself, but in each case, Yes, they were there at the right place, right time, but they were there for you. They were inspired by you, by what you were doing, by the fact that you were putting in extra hours after school to help your family. The fact that you had an ambition and a dream and a goal, the fact that you needed to earn money. And a lot of your motivation, especially in those early days by the sound of things, was family focused. It wasn't selfish. It wasn't a desire to be personally rich to go out and buy dresses. It was to help the family pay debt. And that's inspiring. You know, people want to be around that. You've got a talent, you've got a passion and you've got a determination to do something for others. And I think that may be because of your motivations, it may be why you had so many key destiny people, as you call them, showing up when you needed them. You know, Andy, I believe, you know, I don't know, you know, we, we don't know. We're living on this rock and it's floating in space and we don't really know the ins and outs, you know, the secret, you know, of how this planet works or, you know, why someone finds success and another doesn't. Um, I honestly, now looking back, I think that those destiny people arrive or, uh, you know, are in front of you in times when you are doing something to help. The motivation is to help someone else. Yeah. I really do believe that um, all the key moments in my life 
where, you know, I found success have been where the motivation is for a greater good. And I know that might sound a bit, oh, you know, holier than thou or that, you know, it's, it's, I honestly believe um, that it's true that when you want to um, achieve something, but where it helps somebody else, um, that actually the doors open. Where the intention, I think it's the intention, you know, when the intention is um, of good, I think the universe conspires to help you. Yes. Yes. I think, I think you're so right, Ching. And it's, it's so lovely and so rewarding to hear that from you because it's, you know, on this show, we talk to lots and lots of very, very famous people, elite level people that, that have achieved great things. And you can, you can see the people that have been self-centered, you know, from the start, that that's their focus and it's fine. All, more power to them. That's their determination. That's what they want to do. But, but they've just, they want to be famous. So they've done that. And then you can see the others like yourself who just put out goodness to the world. You know, I want to help this. I want to help this person. I want to help this situation. I want to change this. And it's that force for good that is so inspiring and, and, and we need more of. And, and so hearing your journey, Ching, is I, I'm finding it absolutely fascinating and really rewarding. And it's, it's I mean, it's humbling, actually. I'm, I'm so impressed and, I, and I'm so pleased that you are seeing success as well, separate to the things that you set out to achieve. I know you didn't look to be famous and, and, and all of that sort of stuff, but I love that you're being rewarded as well just for being a good person. I think that's terrific. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I think that when you help others, then you also help yourself because, you know, we're really the same. Um, so, and uh, maybe I, I have a Buddhist upbringing. So my parents are Buddhist. And, you know, I think that also has, um, I've also learned a lot. Um, of lessons there um, about serving, about doing good, helping each other, and just to lift each other so we, you know, lift each other higher, really. I know, um, look, everything is competitive, which seems competitive, but at the end of the day, um, I feel like we are just, you know, we are the same person, really. When you help somebody else, you know, um, you're helping yourself. So um, it seems like a very materialistic and um, materialistic world, but, um, you know, we're all the same. Mm. And I keep saying that, but we really are all the same. Um, and, you know, when we, when we pass and we all have this road and this journey when we go to the other side, we can't take anything that we've created with us, only the memories. You know, like anything material doesn't matter. Doesn't you can't take it with you, no matter how much money you have. Um, you, you know, it stays here on planet Earth. So none of that means anything. It's really the time and the memories and the people that you've helped and or they've helped you that makes life sweetest. Mm. You are a force for good, Jing. It, it is. I love these words of wisdom from you. It's it's so powerful and emotive. I'm 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 humbled actually. I'm really so impressed. Um, 
Ching, we, we've not really touched on your remarkable career. We've heard this incredible backstory and I'm mindful that we're closing out on our hour. Uh, and of course, you know, we haven't talked about your 11 TV shows that you've fronted, the 10 cookery books that you've written, the judging that you've done. You've been the voice of Lu Bao Bei in Beijing, the, the kids TV <laughs> show. You've worked with huge brands like Waitrose and Siemens and, and many, many more. You're a TV and film producer. I mean, you are a like I said at the very start, you're an incredibly busy woman. So uh, let's focus on, in the, in the brief time we have left, what, what your plans and goals are sort of moving forward because I get the sense that you are always kind of thinking about how to how to continue evolving. Um, I think, I mean, we have a, you know, everyone has a career and job and, you know, you have that hat on. Um, and we all wear many hats. Um, and of course I do my, you know, TV work and writing and I love that. That's, that's my work hat. Um, but I also enjoy helping others and really I feel so humbled, um, that I really am thinking how I can, what I can do to help more people. Um, and, you know, I just, I'm just working you know, a few projects at the moment. I'm trying to help a young chef, young waiter, this initiative. Uh, they're a fantastic initiative. Um, it's to try and give those under 26 working in the hospitality industry, um, not just young chefs, because, you know, without young, without young waiters, you can't have a young chef. You know, it's, it's, it's teamwork. Mm. Um, front and back of house need to be connected. So um, this is a, a fantastic initiative. It's a competition launched every year um, and it gives them some fantastic prizes and opportunities for networking and support. Support is really the, the main thing, uh, support and recognition. So um, I'm trying to help uh, Robert Bolton, who has started this, um, and to try and make it, you know, global and, you know, really worldwide and something that is British that's originated here. Um, and really, um, it's, it's fantastic and it's something to give back to the young generation because, you know, at the moment, many people don't want to work in the hospitality industry. You know, they think it's a, a lot of hard work and little reward and we'd like to show them that it's otherwise, um, it's very rewarding and, um, and you can have a fantastic future. Um, so that's one area and the other area is, you know, I'm, I'm also, you know, working with my husband, um, and he is an amazing storyteller and writer, and um, he's written a script, which we'd love to get made. Um, it just, you know, it helps to um, share more Asians on TV. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up in the UK, and I love the UK, it's a fantastic place. Um, I've had so many friends from different backgrounds that I've learned so much from. And one area is that I hope to see more um, Asians, well, British Asians, um, well, he is, you know, he's British Chinese, um, you know, on screen. And I think it's really important because when you see more of, you know, your own heritage represented on TV, I think it gives all others hope. Yes, that's a, that's a really, really powerful message, actually. And this is with Sentient Films, your, your company with him. Yes. Yes. Oh, so, I'd, 
I'm really looking forward to seeing how that progresses because you're so right. It is there is one area I think on on, on TV, like you say, and in films in the UK, which which is abandoned. I mean. Uh, all I can think of in terms of recent movies was that film Crazy Rich Asians, which was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. It was great fun, but it was a lot of heavy stereotypes. And, yes. and then it stopped. <laughs> it was There was no Thank more. You. Yes. And also, um, you know, not all Asians are crazy and rich. Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, so um, there's so many um, amazing stories. And as, as all, you know, as, as from all cultures, you know, we all have so much to learn. And um, there, are, I see many stories being represented, which is fantastic um, and, you know, for it to be heard. But I'd love to share a little bit from our culture too. So, um, you know, I guess I enjoy being, you know, in the middle. Just I hope, to, you know, uh, I hope people to understand a bit more of this East and West, you know, connection. Um, and that, it, and hopefully, brings us closer together. Yes, yes. Oh, I, I wish you all the success with that. I mean, from a very personal perspective, one of the great joys of my life has been the fact that you know, as I, as I mentioned, my mother-in-law is from Hong Kong. Therefore, my extended family are, are Chinese, and being exposed to the, the the cultural changes that I didn't know about when I was younger has been glorious. I, I, I and and it's something that I have three boys. You know, we are we are acutely. Um, keen to make sure that they are imbued in the in the traditions and the and the and the ways of of, of all cultures actually. But you know, my mother in law goes into my son's school and does talks about uh, you know the year of whatever it might be this year and so on and Chinese Tiger. New Year and well next yes year. I know I know next year but like it was it was the rat wasn't it and then we had yeah. and, and, you know oh. and. And the ox, thank you. And then there's, but obviously, I'm just thinking about my three boys, about which which they are, rather than where we're currently at. But you, you understand, uh, it's it, we are yeah. we sort of we're trying to spread the message as well because I have loved it, not just from the food, but from the mm. the ethos and the psychology and the uh, and the celebrations and yeah, there's there's a lot to be a lot to be learnt and a lot to be shared. I think definitely. And you know, growing up, I had a bit of an identity crisis too you know um in taiwan i was fine in south africa i wanted to be more like you know everybody else so i i was not proud of my heritage you know then in the uk i refound my heritage you know i became proud of you know my background even though growing up in, as a teenager i kind of wanted to be just blonde and blue eyes you know mm. and so you know i i this we are all mixing, you know, our cultures, you know, they're much more, there's so many mixed families now. You know, my husband is also mixed too. You know, his mum is English, Irish, and his dad's Malaysian, Chinese. You know, they have this unique story. Um, but understanding that heritage and understanding all the parts of what makes us, makes us whole, really. So, um, you know, yes, I think it's, yeah, to embrace it and not to be shy or, um, you know, ashamed of it in some way. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Actually, in a crazy, crazy aside, Jing, you know, I, I was enrolling my middle son, who's who's only just turned four, into into football club last night, mm -hmm. in fact. And wow. uh, and and you have to fill out these forms, obviously, for various different things. And one of the options is is your ethnicity. And mm -hmm. I was so pleased because historically when I filled these forms out for myself and so on, you've had sort of um, white, black, other or sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? That's in the mm -hmm. olden times. It was as, as sort of basic as that. 
And when I went to fill it out for him, the number of options there were was so joyful, just continuing to scroll. And I, I finally found, uh, and I actually ticked white Asian because that's what I felt uh-huh. was appropriate for him. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, it was lovely to see all of the, the, the list has grown and it's grown mm-hmm. with joy. And I, I think that's terrific. You know, more, more. Of yeah. that. That's what I say. Fantastic. Yeah. I agree. Wholeheartedly. And, um, yeah, you guys will have to go out and eat or cook together knowing that you've got your background. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, I need to, I, I had Ken Hom's hot wok when I was at uni. I tried to learn. Oh. I lived with Malaysians, actually. I lived with four Malaysians in my wow. first year of university. So they taught me bits and pieces. And all I really managed to get was if I can get a wok hot enough and I'm drunk yes. enough, I can cook anything. <laughs> you know? oh. No, um, I'll, I'll send you some of my books. Um, I love Ken Hom. He's such a, a fantastic chef. And uh, I call him my sifu. Um, he's the original, you know. He's the original fire starter. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. He's he's the he's the he's the godfather of the he's walk. The godfather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Amazing. brilliant, brilliant, Ching. It's it's been such a lovely chat. Thank you so much for your time today. I've I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Andy. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you and thank you for listening to my story. Oh, it's been, it's been, honestly, I've had the hairs on the back of my neck stood up several times when you've been talking and it's just been a real joy. You've made my day. Thank you. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you so much. And, um, and don't give up on the, on the cooking just yet. (laughs) (laughs) I will keep trying. I will keep trying. One of these days it it will be palatable, but (laughs) right, right now I'm very much the weak link in our family, but that's, that's okay. I will keep trying. No, 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 anyone can do it. Nothing is impossible. For sure. For sure. Look, I wish you luck with everything, Ching. And if I can help in any level with any of your activities, please do get in touch. You know, I'm, I'm a fan and I, I, I think I've become a friend now. So if you'd like any assistance that I can bring, please just shout. Thank you so much, Andy. And likewise, too. Thank you so much. Bless you. Thank you, Ching. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Thank you. Bye now. Cheers then. Bye bye. The Andy J Podcast. There you go. Didn't I tell you she was amazing? What a conversation. I absolutely loved talking to Ching. I thought she was just so, so special. An absolute pot of gold. Really, really enjoyed her company and sincerely hope I get to catch up with her again. Now, thank you very much for your time today. It means the world to me that you've chosen the Andy J podcast. It really does. I'd love it if you could tell your friends. If you just tell one friend and we get each one of you listening gives us one extra listener, then my goodness, we'd be entering Christmas with a lot of listeners, which would be amazing. However... Uh, If you want to tell lots of friends or share about it on your social media or or kind of contact me via Instagram or whatever, please do. I do love getting your messages, especially the nice ones. (laughs) And I'm not going to tell you who's on next week because it's a goldie. In fact, we might even have two next week. Uh, Let me see. Let me see. But just to say thank you. Have a great week. Go well. Be kind. And just give out some goodness, hey, especially in this crazy season. If you're listening in real time, we're closing in on Christmas. So I hope that you aren't getting too stressed and anxious about that. I know a lot of people feel really weirded out by the whole Christmas vibe. So I hope that you are cruising through it and life is treating you kindly. However you're doing, be kind to others and I hope you see that back to you. Have a great one and I'll catch you on the flip side. Bye-bye. The Andy J Podcast. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.